Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. This is the, the greatest country um, in the world, and I think it's because of our Constitution. I'm trying to talk through this because I just want to get I just want to get the information, and I know we're on a limited time, but I hate that I'm like getting emotional about it. But I just think that um, we are. Uh, it's just that there's a little bit of a lack of faith right now. Is this the first time you've cried about this? Yes, I don't know. I think it was just a long day yesterday, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's like a hell of a lot of pressure. Hey everyone, I'm Scott Bland. This is the Nerdcast. And that was Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill and Politico reporter Michael Cruz, who were talking Wednesday evening about impeachment. And they were talking about Cheryl's prominent role in the events of this week, which were this. The House of Representatives is moving more rapidly than ever down a road that looks like it could end in the impeachment of President Donald Trump. It seems, I think, I've gotten the impression from people that everyone's sort of taken aback a little bit because here we were saying, no, we don't think impeachment is good. And blah, blah. But we So Michael has painted this amazing portrait of what one freshman House Democrat is wrestling with in terms of impeachment this week. But before we can jump into that segment, we have to start by just outlining how we got here. In order to really understand what's going on this week, and a lot has happened just this week, a lot happened the week before that, the week before that, really you have to stretch back to 2014 to understand kind of the full sweep of this saga that, again, led to the events of this week. You had House Speaker Nancy Pelosi endorsing impeachment proceedings. You had more and more House Democrats doing the same. So we have to go all the way back to 2014 to understand the sequence of events. And we have one of our expert political reporters here with us to do that first. A quick note before we jump into that, we are taping this uh, late Thursday afternoon. That's September 26th this week. So anything more that happens on this story, and we know there will be more, anything more that happens after this, we're not going to be able to cover in this episode. Rest assured, we're going to be talking about it in future ones. Okay, let's turn now to Natasha Bertrand, uh, Politico national security reporter. She was with us last week uh, to talk through a totally different Trump thing that's going on. But now she's going to take us through this timeline of events on Donald Trump and Ukraine and how we got here. Natasha, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's let's just do like a brief TikTok if we can of just the the steps to get to this point. Yeah, so it starts in the spring of 2014. One of Joe Biden's sons has scored a pretty sweet gig, Hunter Biden. Which is when Joe Biden's son, Hunter, took a seat on the board of Burisma Holdings, which is a Ukrainian natural gas company. Ukraine's largest oil company. Hunter Biden joins the company's board of directors at a time when the U.S. is urging Ukraine to develop energy independence from Russia. And it was being investigated at the time for potential corruption. 
The prosecutor general, who was then appointed in 2015, promised to keep looking into Burisma. And in 2016, Joe Biden, at the request of President Obama, urged the Ukrainians to fire the prosecutor general because he was soft on corruption. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. Biden told the Ukrainians that the U.S. would withhold about a billion dollars in aid if the prosecutor was not fired. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. And it wasn't just Biden who was urging the, the Ukrainians to fire the prosecutor. It was the entire international community because this is someone who was seen as potentially corrupt himself. It's also important to remember that obviously this wasn't Biden freelancing. This is something that he went to Ukraine and he did at the behest of Obama because he was in charge really of managing that kind of diplomatic channel between the U.S. and uh, the Ukrainians. ...is to end the cancer of corruption, the culture, the culture of impunity that has hobbled Ukraine for decades... And now, I guess, fast forward to to the present or close to the present day, and this saga has kind of gotten it twisted up in uh, – it's become an obsession of Donald Trump's. Yeah, with help from his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. The reality is I came about this by accident investigating Ukrainian collusion with Democrats. Who has been fixated on this for months. And also to help create the false narrative against the president. And over the next three to four months – you're going to find out all about that. And who was actually engaged in some kind of shadow diplomacy that sidelined national security officials and others in the administration who are charged with dealing with Ukraine, with um, releasing the funds that the U.S. has obligated for the military assistance to Ukraine. And Giuliani has been meeting with U uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky's aide, to discuss a potential investigation into Joe Biden and his son and has been discussing it with other Ukrainian officials for months now. And now we've recently learned a few days before this phone call, uh, there there was uh, – the Washington Post has reported that Trump asked Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, to hold military aid that was earmarked for Ukraine. Yeah. So he ordered essentially a freeze on the $250 million that had been appropriated by Congress to help Ukraine's military because, of course, it's very important that they fend off Russian aggression and the U.S. is one of their biggest allies in doing that. The Europeans also contribute a lot of money, but the U.S. support is obviously very important. So the president, just days before he had this phone call with Zelensky, told Mulvaney, we need to hold up this these millions of dollars. And then during the phone call, he again referenced the amount of aid that the U.S. gives to Ukraine and how important it is for Ukraine's economy, essentially. Okay, and then kind of fast-forwarding through the summer. So Politico reported on on the fact that this military aid had been uh, held up to Ukraine at the end of August. By mid-September, the Trump administration is backing off that hold. Uh, and then... Late on a Friday night, we get this statement from Chairman Schiff. You're Friday the 13th, Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, comes out with this unusual late-night attention-grabbing statement. Schiff is seeking access to a whistleblower complaint that has been deemed a matter of urgent concern by the intelligence community. And this is the first we're hearing about anything along these lines, about a whistleblower complaint. Yes, we had no somewhere idea. Somewhere in the intelligence community. We had no idea that there was a whistleblower or that 
the inspector general for the intelligence community had deemed that whistleblower's complaint to be urgent and credible and that it was being withheld from Congress. Okay, and so that's that's an unusual thing to begin with. But then over the course of the next week, I think it's it's going to be next Thursday, I think it's the 19th, it's first reported that this whistleblower complaint involves Trump and involves a, a conversation that Trump had with a foreign leader. Blockbuster reporting from the Washington Post has triggered one of the highest stakes standoffs yet. Yes, that was reported uh, right, about six days later. Whistleblower complaint, the Washington Post says, was sparked by a promise the president made to a foreign leader as yet unidentified. Things continue to trickle out from there. The Post says it is unclear which foreign leader the president was speaking with or what he promised. But it was ultimately revealed that this July 25th call that Trump had with Zelensky is really at the center of it. Where President Trump asked Ukrainian President Zelensky several times to collaborate with Attorney General Barr and his attorney, uh, Rudy Giuliani, his private attorney, to look into Biden and his son. This whistleblower sounded the alarm on this particular phone call. And intelligence officials actually then took that to the Justice Department because they were concerned that it could constitute a campaign finance law violation um, because Trump was essentially soliciting a thing of value from a foreign government in order to help his reelection campaign in 2020. That thing of value, of course, being dirt on his political rival, Joe Biden, even if that dirt was essentially manufactured by the Ukrainians because Ukrainian prosecutors and top officials have already said that there's no evidence that the Bidens ever did anything wrong. And pressure grows around this because the the Justice Department holds it up. The reason why the director of national intelligence and the Justice Department had decided that this should not be turned over to Congress is because it involved Trump's conversations, which are potentially privileged because these conversations he has with world leaders are usually shielded from lawmakers for obvious reasons. And that kind of brings us up to this week, the White House releasing uh, not a transcript, but like a, a readout contemporaneous notes of the uh, the, the at least one of the calls in question between Trump and the Ukrainian president. Yeah, it was a real year. bombshell. Um, they released this memo that was based on notes taken by national security staff and the White House Situation Room at the time. It's not a verbatim transcript, but it's it's pretty damning for the president. And there are a lot of Republicans even who are questioning why the White House counsel allowed this to be released. It essentially shows the president tying, uh, tying U.S. aid to this favor that he asked of Zelensky, which was investigate the CrowdStrike issue, which CrowdStrike was the private cybersecurity firm that determined that the Russians had, in fact, hacked the Democratic National Committee. And he also, of course, asks the Ukrainians to investigate the Bidens, even though he doesn't directly mention the U.S. military aid that he had withheld days earlier. He does, in fact, invoke the money and the support that the United States gives to Ukraine when asking Zelensky for this favor to help him with his reelection, essentially. Incredibly Byzantine sequence of events here, Natasha. Thank you so much for, for walking us through that. Of course. Thank you. Natasha took us through Tuesday of this week. That's September 24th. We got the memorandum from the White House detailing uh, what was said on this call between Trump and the Ukrainian president. We had House Speaker Nancy Pelosi coming out and endorsing uh, an impeachment proceeding to sift through all this. So then on Wednesday, we had Michael Cruz 
the Politico reporter who you heard at the very top of the show, he went up to the Capitol to spend some time with Mikey Sherrill, the Democratic congresswoman from New Jersey that you heard at the top of the show. And Michael was talking to her about just how she is dealing uh, with this movement toward impeachment and her role. This wouldn't be happening if you and the people you seem to be closest to in Congress wrote what you wrote. Did you anticipate that your op-ed would lead to the dam breaking the way it did? Did you either anticipate that or did you know that? That wasn't part of the calculation that we would do this to, to break any dam. And in fact, it probably would have been better for us if that was different. But I think... Um, I think we suspected that our decision would have an impact. And joining us from an airport. I am in the Charlotte airport um, trying to (laughs) finish my work before I can go home. Michael Cruz, senior staff writer for Politico, Ace Magazine reporter. Michael, thank you so much for for taking the time uh, on your travels to, uh, to join the Nerdcast. Sure thing. Good to be with you. All right. So, Michael, for our listeners who may not know her by, by name, just off the top of their heads, who is Mikey Sherrill? Can you introduce this freshman congresswoman to us? Mikey Sherrill is the representative uh, for New Jersey's 11th congressional district, which is uh, in the northern part of the state, kind of stretches from just west of New York City uh, toward the northwest portion of New Jersey. It is a district that had been for three and a half decades um, a Republican district until Mikey Sherrill won last year. It feels like longer ago than that, but it was just (laughs) last year. She was able to swing that district um, partly because of her biography. She is a former uh, Navy helicopter pilot. She's a former federal prosecutor. She's a mother of four. This is a biography that was extremely attractive to uh, the voters of that uh, now swing district. Um, Her victory in 2018 uh, was a real key in helping Democrats take back control of the House, um, which of course put them in a position to do what they are uh, starting to do right now with respect to impeachment. Yeah. And as far as freshman members of Congress go, you know Congresswoman Cheryl uh, fairly well. You've been writing about her uh, now stretching back into last year, uh, spending time with her, kind of getting inside her, her head uh, uh, almost as an avatar for uh, a, a number of different folks we're seeing in this freshman Democratic class. Yeah, very early on, I saw her as... Um, super important and an opportunity to get at some really big ideas and big issues uh, specifically through her and through her district. What she did and how she operated, uh, decisions she made would tell us something larger than just NJ11, larger than just Mikey Sherrill. Yeah. And I mean, that that context, she's playing a central role in it, that context of this drive toward impeachment, because on Monday, she and seven other freshman uh, House Democrats, all of them, uh, well, six, six of them military veterans and, and the seventh uh, CIA veteran, uh, wrote this Washington Post op-ed uh, saying that they had been holding off holding out of the the possibility of of impeachment proceedings for President Donald Trump. But after what they had learned in the past week about 
his dealings with Ukraine, that that had pushed them over the edge to this place that they had really not wanted to go previously. She had been up until this point, she had been up until this point, uh, a holdout, been very cautious. Um, She has had to increasingly at town halls um, in New Jersey, uh, try to explain to constituents why she didn't think uh, it was the most prudent course of action to begin uh, such an impeachment inquiry. Uh, you know, I was um, on the road on Monday and um, was on a, a flight Monday night, um, landed uh, took my phone off airplane mode and saw that she had written this op-ed with, um, you know, one of seven uh, similar first-year um, uh, congressmen and women, and um, knew immediately that 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 this was a really big deal and that it was going to, uh, or I thought uh, it was going to help move others, and that that is what has happened over the last few days. Of course, you know I think a lot of a lot of uh, Democrats in Congress were looking to see what people like Mikey Sherrill were going to do because she's a bit of a bellwether. If she feels like uh, she can do this and she can um, move forward on impeachment in her district, in a district like hers, is still um, very purple, uh, you know, a district that, that had been Republican uh, in Republican hands for so, so long. If she can do that, if she thinks this is serious enough, that the new allegations, the, new, the, 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 the Ukraine story, all of this, if she feels like that is serious enough for her to, to see no other option, for her to, to see this as her, as her duty, as her responsibility, especially given her national security background, then others um, uh, take, take um, put real stock in that. And so um, she, uh, in a very real way, has helped, has helped move Democrats and has helped move Congress to where it is now. And so now... With all that context, you travel to Washington to see Congresswoman Cheryl uh, after in the aftermath of this op-ed, in the midst of this media blitz that she's doing to explain her reasoning. Can you paint us a picture of that interview? Well, I, I, got, I got to her office uh, late Wednesday afternoon, uh, had some time with her uh, set for later that evening actually ended up walking over to the Capitol with her late afternoon. She had some, some, some votes. What is the first moment? Have a good vote. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What is the first moment where you're like, hmm. I, I walked with her over to the Capitol. We talked about how this had all come about, um, uh, waited for her um, uh, to vote, um, talked more with her walking back. Okay. I think we can go this way. Okay. To... Longworth, where her office is, uh, and then we we went into her office, closed the door, just me and her and um, Jackie Burns, uh, her trusty spokeswoman, and we uh, you know we we settled in a little bit and started talking a little bit more in her office. She was on um, the couch in her office. I was in a chair across from her coffee table in between us. And we talked about why this was a bright line for her. The bright line, of course, is the fact that in very basic terms, the president of the United States withheld congressionally directed military funding illegally from 
a foreign power, and then went to that foreign president and said, could you do me a favor? Basically, look into this guy running against me. That's the bright line. But the reason I think it, I came to this decision, and as did everyone, it, in a way, it, it might feel rapid to other people, is because of our world experience. And because of how deeply we understand how damaging this is to our national security. And so we don't think impeachment is, is what we want to be working on. None of us want to be working on this. We all want to be working on delivering to our districts. But at some point, knowing how damaging this is to the national security of the country, um, there has to be some check on this behavior, and it's Congress. And then in the midst of this conversation, as she's explaining those reasons, she, she starts to cry on and off for a little while as, as she's reckoning with the, the gravity of the moment, it seems. Yeah. You know, as I've gotten to know her, she's been nothing but disciplined, um, pretty composed, um, not what I would call an emotional person. So it was surprising to me when about 20 minutes into our conversation in her office, and it was surprising to her too, she started to cry. And so, you know, um, I'm getting emotional, but how do you, you know, make those choices? You know, it's, um, it's critical that you get it right. And I don't think we had it. I don't think we've made our case. I don't think it made sense in any way to move forward before this. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon me to be able to explain to our country why this is different and why we have to act it was in response, I think, to some of my questions about um, the stakes and the consequences of, of this decision of hers, along with the others who joined her in the op-ed. You know, this is, this is so egregious. This is against everything we fought for in the military. Um, it's a pretty heavy, uh, heavy time on Capitol Hill and in this country, and I think... Um, after a whirlwind of a week, and after, in particular, a few days of working on the op-ed, um, putting it out there, uh, going on TV, going on radio, talking about it, coming back to Washington, running back and forth from this meeting and that vote um, all over the hill, uh, I felt like this was one of the first times uh, where she was sitting still and where it just sort of overwhelmed her, uh, the gravity of, of where we are and also her role in um, where we've gotten this week. It's an interesting corrective to the idea, the not unwarranted idea of uh, members of Congress essentially being these partisan automatons, right, who go to the leadership's office and to collect their talking points and then 
wander off to cable news to to deliver them and and back and forth. Yeah, it seems like all the threads and context of her life and previous experience and her election and and today's politics coming together in one moment. Yeah, she has said many times, and she said uh, to me in her office that she did not run for Congress to impeach the president. She has gotten to a point where she feels like that is her duty and that is her obligation, but I I think it's fair to say that um, she's doing it with eyes wide open and she's doing it because she feels like there's no other option at this point because a line, lines have been crossed and and this is what Congress must do now. And, um, you know, uh, sitting across from her, uh, in her office, uh, that um, realization seemed to hit her uh, in, a, in, a, in, a new, in a new kind of way. What was it like to see this site, the, the human side of a lawmaker? Um, like you said, it's an intimate moment that, of the sort that Cheryl and others typically do their best to not share. <laughs> yeah, what was it like? Um, almost in some strange way, a relief uh, to, to uh, see a member of Congress being genuinely human, doing what I feel like I would do perhaps if I were in her position. If you're not if you're if you're in this right now in that way and we're all in this in some in our ways right but if you're in in it in her way I, golly it's a lot it is a lot and how could you not how could you not feel that way just because we don't see it a lot doesn't mean it's not happening, I think. But there I was, um, sitting across from her when it happened for her, to her. And as she's talking to you, Cheryl, is, is she's bringing up the Constitution and the founding of the country many times. I mean, it, oh, we've, we've talked about the gravity of the situation before, but just, again, she's, she's linking everything back to, like, the, the, the founding of the institution that she's in. Yeah. She referred to it as a 1776 fight. That feels like a 1776 kind of fight. In my interpretation, Mikey Sherrill speak for an existential struggle. That feels like we're going to have to get a lot more people on board. It feels like a really big fight. It feels like a really big fight. That you're in the middle of. Which is um, for this democracy for the sustenance of the country that she has known and that she served in various capacities and is serving now in this capacity to hear Mikey Sherrill say, this is a 1776 fight. Um, it is to hear her speak in for her extremely strong terms could not could not uh call greater importance to um 
the situation uh, we are in now, the developments of the last few days. Michael, thank you so much for joining us to talk through this. I highly recommend everyone go read read his piece on, on politico.com. Michael, thank you. Thanks so much. And there's still more to this story that we couldn't even get to there. Michael talked to Congresswoman Cheryl on Wednesday. On Thursday, that's when the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee released this whistleblower complaint that, that kicked all this off. The complaint reads in part at the top, in the course of my official duties, I have received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the president of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. The The letter goes on to talk about uh, concerns that White House officials quarantined the record of this call with the Ukrainian president in order to prevent it. Uh, from gaining wider scrutiny. We also had on Thursday the director of national intelligence testifying uh, before the Congressional Intelligence Committee uh, about why this whistleblower complaint was initially withheld from Congress despite, as as Natasha talked about at the top of the show, despite the, the normal course of events being to release those things to Congress. So all that happened just today. There's going to be a lot more tomorrow and next week in Congress, in the White House, out on the campaign trail in 2020. Big story. Big, big story. We're going to be talking about it a lot more in the weeks to come. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Our producer for this episode is Annie Reese. Dave Shaw is our executive producer. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like the Nerdcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.